0: Dead bodies is not for the squeamish, and is intended for mature audiences. Yep. Ready. Okay. All right. okay. Ready. <laughs> and I get told, for instance, what's that? Ready. Ready. <laughs> That's just me saying ready. I'm ready. I do that in the
1: voice booth at work when I'm waiting for the editor to I'm hit ready. roll on my voice for my story. And then I I do things like this. I go, give me something to read in news voice.
0: Oh. Oh, here.
1: I'll take something read, off mine.
0: My... Read the wrapper of your bar, your chocolate bar.
1: No, I'll read something in here. In a news voice. In a news voice. So I'll I'm be there. Go. Can I read
0: this in a news voice? And
1: I'll go, ready. And then they go rolling and I go, Today they lodged an appeal saying the sentence was manifestly inadequate.
0: Limited edition Twix bars, triple chocolate extra. That's my news voice.
1: You, no, but you do radio. That's a radio ad
0: voice. I love reading news. haven't done it for so long. Mm, it's oh, fun. It's one of the great fun. pains of my professional life. What have you got for me tonight? Okay. Today, this whatever non-specific time that this podcast launches.
1: Well... I'm going back to 1962.
0: That's the year I was born. Welcome. It's the year Marilyn Monroe died.
1: Well, we're in, it's not Maryland. I think it's Maryland.
0: Yes, I think Mm. you're right.
1: And we are talking about a 20-year-old man called Roger Kelso. Roger's
0: such a 1960s name.
1: Roger Kelso. Roger,
0: probably mum was Barbara, making that up. Probably. Yep.
1: Well, one day out of nowhere, Roger left his house and he told his family, I'm going to be gone for a while.
0: His exact
1: words were, which are recalled by his siblings, I'm going to be leaving for a while. Everything is good. Mm. Okay. I feel like if your sibling walks outside and said, I'm going to be gone for a while, everything is good.
0: Yeah, it's not.
1: It's not. No. A year later, Roger still wasn't home. He'd missed birthdays and anniversaries and the family knew that something had happened to him because this was out of character. 22 years later, in 1985, a construction crew found human remains in a trash can at Marley Station Mall, and in the pockets of the body, they found coins. Now, the latest date on one of the coins was 1963.
0: Oh, wow. Isn't that so smart? Yeah. If I well, found no, coins no,
1: in someone's pocket, I'd just be like, "Okay, they've got two bucks on them."
0: But that doesn't tell you when he died. I mean, I could be walking around with an no, eighteen something coin in of, my pocket
1: of where his latest living point was.
0: No, it doesn't, because I could be carrying around a, a doubloon from ye olde, the ancient medieval times. Why would
1: you be carrying that?
0: Because oh, from now be cal- on you have to
1: carry that coin in your pocket in <laughs> no, case it, uh, you he, get found by a construction crew at the bloody Marley Station Mall.
0: But it could be there must have been an overall vibe. They probably were able to go. Look, he's wearing a home knitted jumper. That's surely a sign. It's the 1960s. Everyone wore home knitted. I wish we had the bell and in great this big underpants. They probably was the whole co- collection of things. Hit, hit it. Hit what? Hit oh the bell from the last episode, the the interruption bell. It's back. Yes. This is my story. Sorry. Okay. Okay.
1: The body was taken to the coroner who determined that the person had died of upper body trauma but couldn't say any more than that. They couldn't identify him, couldn't work out who he was. They go through all the dental records. They even did that thing where they make a sketch of what the person would have looked like even though they're obviously very decayed and Mm. there's nothing left of them. Mm. And what the person would have looked like when they died and they – Put that out to everyone, nothing. In 2018, Cold Case Detectives asked for a genetic genealogy test, which
0: uses... Coins? No. No? Teeth? It
1: uses databases such as Ancestry.com. Oh, and they've got that one in America 23andMe. Yes. Yes. I've done the Ancestry.com test um, to match DNA and find possible connections to other family members, Mm. and they got a hit. Okay, so at that point, authorities, uh, they have to go to all these different bloody states to tell Roger Kelso's relatives that they've identified him all these years later. Arizona, Washington State, Oregon, West Virginia. They're bloody telling all Roger's fam.
0: Take me home, country roads, West Virginia. Good one. Hmm.
1: So... They do this press event announcing that they have worked out his ID. We have a little bit of audio. <gasps> Hit it. This new technology has allowed us to, A, give our victim a name after almost six decades of being nameless. It also let the family know who he was who, or where he was, what happened to him. Um, and we 're also going to be able to return him to his family and give him the proper burial that he has deserved after six decades roger kelso 's sister was also there mm-hmm. and they 're very grateful here's a little listen of her. Roger was just a wonderful person, a gentle, gentle person, very, very trusting, obviously too trusting, but very just just a good person they still Do, don't, we know. don't know what happened to roger no, they still don 't know what happened to Roger or why he ended up in that trash can. that press event. But she's
0: saying that as though she knows something obviously Mm. to try. What's obvious? So she seems certain that maybe she just doesn't want to believe that perhaps he... Well, they're asking
1: people at that press event, they wanted people to go back and go back through their yearbooks if they went to school with him and try and jog their memories about, you know, if they'd seen anything or heard anything around that time. And we've spoken about this before, about detectives that come become really attached uh, to cases that Mm. they never solve. So, uh, and forgive me if I'm saying this name wrong, John Jaschik, the first detective to take the lead when the body um, was discovered in 1985. He'd been retired for more than 20 years, but he went to that announcement um, and they said that he was there because he still really cared about what had happened to Roger. uh, In a statement released by police, because there is this whole thing about those Ancestry.com databases Mm. and do people consent to their DNA being used in these kind Mm. of, you know, if you you just want to find out if you're Egyptian and Chinese, do you then consent to your DNA being used for something like this? And in a statement, the police and Parabon, who's the company they use, said um, they believe that participants are now aware that these databases could be used for law enforcement purposes. Mm. And I think that's fair.
0: I think it's it's something that definitely needs to be looked at and legislated properly.
1: Yes, correct. But they never found out what happened to him, but they did identify him, which gave his family closure.
0: Yeah. It would make a big difference, wouldn't it, to finally have an answer? Mm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: And that is the end of my story.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have... um... Uh, There was a message from Kiralee on Facebook that said, Hello, ladies. I'm loving your podcast. It really makes my long drive to and from work more meaningful. Michael talking about his sister Jess brought a tear to the eye. Uh, which was lovely. Um, he hit the nail on the head for me in terms of his experience when she passed. Felt exactly the same way when Dad passed away when I was 16. Oh, that's so young.
1: People still bring up this Michael Scanlon I know. story.
0: It will be 30 years tomorrow since he passed and I still remember him every day. Anyway, unlike someone else's experience that wrote in, we also had an open casket for Dad and I loved it because he looked so good. He'd been struggling with leukemia for years. They made him look so peaceful and rested. One more thing. I think, Dee Dee, you You should research what happened with Eva Peron's body. It's very interesting. Thanks again, Kiralee. I'm reading between the lines. This is a cry for somebody who wants to hear me sing. Don't cry for me, Argentina. The fuck? The truth is, I never left you. That means stop my wild days.
1: I. I, I my, do if like If Madonna the can do it, PF, I can. I like the Eden. Edith- my
0: mad existence. I kept my promise. All right, so I'm going to do for Kiralee. I'm texting Michael Scanlon to tell him how great he is while you. You need to do it while I'm talking. I'm so used to t- doing my stories to the top of your head and the back of your iPhone that it's not going to put me off. This is the story of the dead body of Evita. Maria Eva Duarte was born into poverty in 1919. Okay, it's annoying me. I'm going to sit here and wait until you've done it. I'm quick.
1: Oh, you know what I'm a really big fan of? What? I like the, um, well,
0: yeah, you use the microphone to text. Yes, I do
1: it all the time. Yes. Except sometimes
0: it won't do the correct word. I sometimes had one yesterday. it doesn't
1: do the right word.
0: Yep. Yeah. And I did, you know, I, did, I sent a message yesterday to, I think it was my daughter, uh, and I was really angry. And... I kept I, – I was saying fucking, fuck, fuck, fucking all, a lot and uh, I was thinking it's not going to write that word. It did? It did. See? iPhones don't judge. Maria Eva Duarte was born into poverty, 1919 in rural Argentina. When she was 15, she went to Buenos Aires to be an Actor. Actor. In 1945, she married Colonel Juan Perón, and I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. And one. she, one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. That's another John Farnham song. Um, she married Colonel Juan. That, Peron. My
1: mind went to that
0: Mexican song. Is there do, a Mexican do, song
1: do, with do, one? Do, 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 do. What's that? Kess was I'm talking about.
0: Someone did a parody of it years ago. One ton of mayo? Oh no, if Tony Locket. There's only one Tony Locket. Oh, here we go.
1: No, this is one ton of mayo.
0: <laughs> I love mayonnaise. One ton of mayo. Oh, I, I saw saw one, one ton of mayo. Yum! I had pastrami and mayonnaise on my sandwich one today on One of cake mayo.
1: Like. Oh, I saw one ton of mayo. Okay. Yeah, okay, so well, I think that's what Terry was meaning when he said that we interrupt each other for really long periods of time and go totally probably. off the story. All right,
0: welcome back, Terry. Where were we? Okay, so Eva has married Colonel Juan Peron, and she helped him become president. She became first lady. She took charge of a number of projects. She built schools and hospitals, and people loved her. She was a powerful champion of the trade unions. You probably know all this about Eva Peron, but I'm telling you anyway. Um, she eventually nominated for the office of Vice President of Argentina and the working class just loved her. She had great support there, but she was also intensely disliked by the military leaders and the very well-to-do. In 1952, when Eva Perón was just 33 years old, she died of cervical cancer. And she was given a state funeral, and you've probably seen pictures of that, because two million people filed past her coffin. Her body was embalmed, and they put it on display at the union headquarters in Buenos Aires because she had been the champion of the unions.
1: Can I Google a photo of her funeral? Yeah, you can. Thanks. Thanks.
0: I'll just sit quietly. And no, wait. no, keep going, please. Okay. In 1955, three years after Eva had died, there was a military coup and her husband, Juan Perón, was deposed. In the middle of the night, military officers snuck into the Union building and they took Eva's corpse because. It was a symbol of one Peron's reign, and they just wanted it gone. So they kept the corpse for a little while in a van that was parked on the streets. They kept it for a time behind a movie screen in Buenos Aires. And uh, they also kept it inside the city's waterworks. They had to keep moving it around because if the people found out where it was, they'd do something Naughty, I don't know what, take it back. At one stage, they stored her body in the offices of military intelligence, and wherever it went to, flowers and candles would appear. So, obviously, someone or word had got out where she was. The people loved her so much, and so they would find out, and things would appear. So, they had to then move her. So, they had to come up with a better solution of where to store it. They couldn't just keep keeping it out on the street. In 1957, with the help of the Vatican, Eva Peron's body was taken to Italy and it was buried in a cemetery in Milan under a false name. But people still wanted to know where she was. And all of this time, her her power as a symbol of resistance to the military and her yes. power grew. So by 1971... The military in Argentina had been in and out of government for over 15 years, but Argentina was in not a great state. It was economically depressed and it certainly wasn't peaceful there. So it was decided that Eva's body should be brought home to her husband, Juan Peron, who by this stage he was still alive, but he was living in exile in Spain. So they dug her up in Milan. They drove her body across Europe. She'd been dead for 15 years at this point. And they delivered her to one, bing, delivery. No, that's not for interruption. That's I'm um, being a delivery man. Oh. At the ga- I'm at the gate. Hello. Hello. Hello, I'm here. I've got a delivery for Mr Peron. It's a very big box. Can you come and sign for it? Sure. So he goes out. If he's me, he goes out wearing his ug boots.
1: Yeah, I did that last night.
0: Maybe pajama pants. Yeah. Usually, I'm usually apologising yeah. too. Sorry I look like this. Um. So Juan Perón has taken delivery of the body, He, uh, but the trouble is he's married to another woman now. He's married to a woman oh. called Isabel. So that's not great. You don't really want your husband's no. first wife coming around, especially if she's dead. Yes, especially. Mm-hmm. One of Juan Perón's good friends, a businessman by the name of Carlos Spadone, helped to take the body out of the coffin... I don't know why they take it out of the Fuck. coffin. Leave it in it. Just leave it there. They laid the body out on a marble-topped table. Apparently there'd been dirt and everything because she'd been in the ground in Milan. Their hands got all dirty from the earth. The body had to be cleaned. And Juan Peron's new wife, Isabel, washed the body with a cotton cloth and water. That's going above and beyond, yes. isn't it? Yes, yes. She combed the hair. She cleaned it a bit. She blow-dried it. It took several days, apparently. Oh, uh, the end of one of Evita's fingers was missing. Oh. It's believed that that was removed after the coup in 1955 because the military wanted to verify that the remains were actually Eva Peron. Um this uh, Carlos Spadone there, who was helping with the body, he said it looked like the body had been hit. So I'm not sure what mm, had been done okay. to hit the body. There was a large dent in the nose. There were blows to the face and the chest, marks on the back, a serious dent to one knee. Ugh. In 1973, Juan Perón and the new wife, Isabel, they're in exile, they returned to Argentina and he was elected president And his new wife, Isabel, as vice president. And then the year after that, he died suddenly. So, Isabel took over as president and she brought Evita's body back from Madrid, where they'd been staying when they took delivery of the body. She brought, so, Isabel, what a woman, brought Evita's body back back to Argentina. 1974. A man named Domingo Teletxea was given the job of restoring the body to make it presentable for public display. Uh -uh. Justly, I just wish they would just bury her. Oh my, because she's been dead a long time. Yes. So he worked on her in a crypt in the presidential residence of Los Olivos on the outskirts of Buenos Aires. Can you tell how much? I am enjoying saying Buenos Aires. Yes. I am. I'm loving it every time it comes out. Uh, he said that the feet at this stage were in a very bad way. The corpse had at one stage been hidden in a standing position. So the feet had got all sort of squished yes. and crushed. He said there was a large wound. Um, I'm assuming at the feet, he means that part of the body looked pretty ugly He said that the remains at one stage he thought had been squeezed into a coffin that wasn't big enough. If you crush it into a too small coffin or squash its nose, what is that? It's an offence against the corpse. He said there were lots of marks on the outside of the body, but the inside was quite well preserved. So Eva's corpse was once again displayed to the public. Next to Juan Peron's coffin, Uh, Domingo Telachea said she looked serene as if she was resting peacefully. Isabel Perón planned to build a national monument that could contain the bodies of both Eva and Juan Perón, but that would never happen because in 1976 there was another military coup that deposed the government of Isabel Perón and Argentina once again descended into chaos. Thousands of people disappeared. Eva Perón's body was then taken to her family's mausoleum, which is in the Recoleta Cemetery in Buenos Aires. So as far as we know, Evita lies five metres underground in a crypt that apparently is fortified like a nuclear bunker so people can't get to her so that no one ever will be able to disturb, disturb the remains of probably Argentina's most famous first lady. Until I read all that, I had no idea. All I knew was the song and those scenes of people all. It's a like lot of toing and throwing with her body. Yeah. Let her rest in peace. 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 Without a T on the end, peace. Is... Pieced out. That is peace out. Should we do a little feedback? Sure. There's a feedback buffet. Pick one at random. This one. Okay.
1: Okay. This says. Uh, in episode fifty-four we raised the question of whether the oh no, no
0: i not what, what
1: and I totally picked this at random of whether the penis and or testicles float. Oh. Many responses from gentlemen listeners. Yes. Here's a couple. Strap <laughs> yourselves in people. From Shane. Okay, listening to your current pod, and as the only male listener in brackets that I know of, I can confirm.
0: Float. Thanks, Shane. Shane, that's great.
1: And Brayden. Aww. Hi, ladies. Nice things, nice things. I can confirm oh, no. that in a bath, a peony does float. I thought we've we made it through this. a whole episode with no penis. I never but it knew happen. this. As I'm one of four boys and my mother overheard the conversation about the floating penis, she also confirmed <laughs> that peonies do float in the bath. <laughs> On another note, Oh, Brayden's just gone in for it. On another note, I have personally seen two dead bodies, a grandparent from each side of the family. One was in hospital a couple of hours after he passed. I was only 13 at the time. The coldness of his hands is what really got me. Mm. The other time was at the funeral of the other grandparent. Uh, Brayden says, I was a bit older for this one, but the whole situation seemed so surreal. My father is part of the major crash division for the WA Police. Obviously, he has seen some pretty messed up things, some of which he has discussed at home. It really puts a new perspective on life and how quickly it can change. Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great content. And Peenies float.
0: Thanks. For I that. never knew
1: that. I never knew that.
0: I'm just. I don't glad know no one why I would need to response. know that,
1: but I have learnt something.
0: I'm going to pick one at random over here. Okay. From Megan, and I feel like one, that uh, I've just glanced down, that one has to be for you. Well, it refers to you. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, you can do that one. Okay.
1: Megan, from Megan. Hi, lovely ladies. Nice things, nice things. Uh, Megan tells us about her dad dying of cancer when she was six and a half in an armchair in their living room. It's awful. Um, Then when she was in year 10, she did work experience at the local hospital and saw a dead woman in the palliative care unit. The third dead body was when she was 23. Megan says, I was traveling through Southeast Asia with a now ex-boyfriend. We were in a taxi on a highway type of dirt road and could see a motorbike laying on the road when they got closer they saw a man lying there with no helmet and he was completely covered in blood mm. he must have been dead as no one was helping him and people just drove around him oh too awful too. she oh. says i was pretty upset but realized there was not much we could have done i only hope that he wasn't just left there oh on a on a life. <laughs> is this (laughs) on a lighter note congratulations to chanel i'm also recently engaged and i feel her pain regarding weddings my lovely in brackets i'm not being sarcastic mother-in-law gave us a list of people that have to be included in our day (laughs) the i yes yep okay this is Ringing bells for me, half of whom I have never met. Thankfully, my partner is not Greek, so I'm not being forced to get married in a church. Ha ha, poor Chanel. Okay, I need to follow up with a story. Yeah, go So, on. literally the other day, I had said to Nico, we we're driving, and I said, Oh, don't forget, I've got podcast on Monday, so I'll mm-hmm. be home late. And he goes, Yeah, oh, I feel a lot of people talk to me about your podcast and I don't listen to it. Oh, no, and, I said, no, and I said, And I said, I said, oh, better not. That's okay. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I've said some shit on there, so maybe don't. And he goes, what have you said? And I said, well, I said, I've kind of said some things about the wedding and like now people write in about the (laughs) wedding. I go, and it's just like a bit of a thing. And like one person called it the dreaded wedding. And I saw like he was like. What the fuck? And I said, I really want to marry you. You know that I'm all for marrying you. It's just everything that comes with it is yeah. like,
0: yeah, Ugh. you'll be relieved when it's over. Oh, will I ever? Well, you have to. You have to make yourself stop and enjoy the day. I know. Yeah, which but you I will. Can't. I know you will. I know. I know. Weddings are just. Oh, uh, just. Oh. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes. (laughs) I feel like the
1: whole day all I'm going to be thinking about is when can I take these wretched shoes off and just wear flats.
0: Oh, yeah, I think you can do that as soon as you get back.
1: Yeah. Oh, it just feels like so much effort and like.
0: Because you've got to dance in them and everything, don't you? Oh, well, I've
1: bought my underwear that I have to wear underneath my dress. Is it black? It is a whole situation, I'll tell you that much. And like I showed Nicholas, like I held it up. He I to held show him. it up and he said this. He said, isn't wedding underwear meant to be sexy? <laughs> it's like a whole spank situation, like it's everything. It's a whole suit. A sucking thing. It's like a whole thing. thing. And I was like showing Nicholas and I was like, yeah, look, there's a wee hole and everything. Well, had and- it.
0: Oh, don't you just pull it to the side? Because I wore one of those once, like, and uh, by the end of the day I was nearly dead with, like, yeah, not that's going to be I'm going
1: to nearly be dead in that thing. It
0: like went from like pant- bottom part, like underpants, but then up to and just stopped under the booze.
1: Yeah, no, and, mine's a whole thing.
0: And if you want to, pe- you've got to peel it off. Yeah, and it's just
1: like if you ever see me in a quick shot in the news, not the part where I'm standing there talking down the barrel. Yeah. I've got a backpack on, I'm wearing flats, and then the 15 seconds you see me on the news, I look like I've been getting around in stilettos all day. <laughs> but I'm all about the comfort.
0: Yes, Mito, too. So i well, look, I'm wearing a giant jumper. I'm going to pick one at random. Here it is now, not one hopefully that refers to your wedding. This is from Sonia. I was listening to episode 49 and you read an email from a listener who said the face of her dead loved one was the first image that would come to her mind rather than the countless memories of them alive. This was Mm. the case for me too. Seven years ago, my parents lived in New Zealand along with my brother and sister. I'm in Perth. They were elderly, but when death comes, you're never ready to face it. My mum died after being diagnosed with cancer. Uh, She was married to dad for 55 years. Then Alzheimer's took dad's memory away. And after mum died, he began to wander the streets looking for her. Oh, Oh, shit. So we had to place him in a secure facility that dealt with dementia. I got the dreaded phone call that he was at death's door and jumped on the first plane back to New Zealand. He was 84, wasn't eating or drinking. He was weak, confused and delirious. My sister and brother and I began a bedside vigil that lasted five days. We Aww. talked to Dad, played music, sung his favourite songs and the time, all the time we secretly willed him to go. Uh, she talks about how wonderful the staff were and how they looked after the people there. We were told to leave the bedroom door open for the death cat. If it slept on a resident's bed, then that person would pass away within 24 hours. So my brother, sister and I started running around the home looking for the cat and would drag it into Dad's room. (gasps) They wanted him to pass. Later that night, the cat sauntered in and jumped onto my brother's lap. Shit, we thought you're going to die. He was like, no, no, not me, puss, and gently placed the cat on Dad's bed. Stayed 20 minutes and left. We were bummed. Dad had pneumonia, which made his breathing bad. We had just gotten used to it when we noticed it stopped. His chest wasn't moving. We threw ourselves on his bed, holding him and sobbing, telling him we loved him. My head was on his chest when he took a loud, deep breath. I got such a fright, I flew off the bed and onto the floor. My sister burst out laughing and Dad's breathing returned. We all calmed down, returned to our wine and chat. Is that what you do in a hospital room? Yeah. Um, then it happened again. And again, with the time between each, he's dead, no he's not, yes he is, no he's not, getting shorter and shorter. After the fourth time, it was clear the end was upon us, I was stroking his hair, telling him how I loved him, then his body jolted upwards and his face contorted into a horrific grimace, eyes wide open, as if he was seeing something awful, and then he was gone. His face relaxed back to normal, and I lay him back down, tucked him in, brushed his hair and said, good night, dad, for the last time. That contorted death face and the fear in his eyes haunted me for years, but it's more often now replaced by the face and the sound he would make when laughing. Thank you for the podcast. The stories are interesting and often very sad, but laughter is what pulls us out of the dark times and death can be very funny, just ask my dad. We call his last moments his Monty Python death. I reckon he would have giggled himself silly if he could have watched it all from above. Sonia. Aww. Aww. And I assume the brother was okay after the death cat jumped on him. Well, if you've got a dead body story, write in, let
1: us know. I like stories about death cats and other things that you might see that all, you know, where am I going with this that makes you think know. about death? Okay. Butterfly and
0: a rabbit, it was in Michael Scanlon's. Remember that? Yeah. Mm. Let us know. Deadbodies podcast at gmail.com. Dead Bodies is created by DD Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at DeadBodiesPodcast at gmail.com.